Well, we're taking one week of sabbatical from the book of Judges this morning, and I have this one-time slot in Sunday school for you. And so I've decided to, to just look at one of the psalms, one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 34. So you can turn to Psalm 34. Just a reminder that uh, there will be no Sunday school the next two weeks, just the morning worship service. Let me just read through the psalm. It's the psalm of David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eye of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ear are op ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cries, cry, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who have hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, as we, as we come to this psalm, and we're not going to get all the way through it, and there is a, a special emphasis that I want us to notice from this psalm together this morning. But as you begin the psalm, David sort of is rehearsing his own experience. David is writing this psalm right after he has fled from Absalom, He's a man on the run from King Saul and even from the men of, of Gath. 
His days, we might say, are marked with uncertainty. They're marked with doubt. They're, they're marked with a little bit of despair. These were days of fear and trouble. And, and he arrives at, at, at the cave of Adullam. And as he arrives at this cave, it's, it's there that he has dealings with God. And he comes to realize that his God is far bigger than the events and circumstances that he has experienced. And this is the context in which David has written this psalm. To get more detail, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 21 and see exactly what's going on in David's life. But in the midst of that, now he makes a resolution. He states his resolve. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And he does this. This is his confession. This is his declaration because he wants his life to glorify God. He wants his life to glorify him. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. I want to live a life that glorifies the true and the living God. And all this has come about because David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man, he says in verse 6, cried to the Lord and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. What does that mean? Does that mean David has no more troubles? That somehow the men of Gath have all died off and, and Saul isn't going to... What does it mean when he says, he's delivered me of all my troubles? What do you think he means by that? Is he living the life that you and I dream of? No troubles? That's a question I'm looking for an answer. Yes, this... Okay. Right. Okay. Good. Right. It, yeah, he brings him to recognize that 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 God is still in control. God has a plan. God has a purpose. You know, it, it's not the idea that you know, no more difficulties. It's the idea that that I can trust my God in the midst of those difficulties. Yeah, Tim. Good. Yeah. 
it, it, those are good reminders. Because in the midst of troubles, in the midst of the, of the challenges of this life, in the midst of opposition, it's our natural inclination to forget God and just put our eyes upon the trouble. Isn't it? Maybe I'm the only one. But, but that's usually the result. We, we tend to focus upon the event that makes us uncomfortable, may even lead us to doubt and despair, instead of focusing upon God, who is the one who rules over everything that comes into my life. And that's not easily done. I mean, I, I think of some circumstances that if God would bring into my life, I, I truly wonder how I would handle it. What, what would that be like? I, I don't, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to, I don't ask God, look, you know, God, I just want to see how I'll respond if you do such and such. I, I don't want to do that. But if God brings this into my life, how am I going to respond to such? Is, is what I'm drawn to here in this text. Because it's interesting, I think, to go along with what you said, Ken, further on down, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampus around those who fear him and rescues them. David come to realize God hasn't deserted me. And the thought of the angel of the Lord, we won't take time, but if you, if you work that out, it, it refers to the pre-incarnate Savior. He, he's not going to leave you. He's encampassed around me. He abides with his people. As Ken said, it's here in my notes, he will not desert us. He does not leave us, and I even have in my notes what you quoted from Hebrews 13. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. what David came to. That God's not going to leave me. Ken? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Good. Thank you. So then, then David goes on. Take, take notice, notice he says there, um, he is encamped. What, what verse is that? That's verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those. Who, who does he encamp around? Those who fear him. Those who fear God. And what does it mean to fear God? Well, it means to live every day knowing he, he watches over everything I do. And, and I, Pastor Martin would say, and I want to, the most important thing is to have him smile. And the thing I dread most would be to have him frown. I, I believe when we read in God's word that any walk with God, what that means is any feared God. He lived every day under the eyesight of Almighty God and, and, and wanted to please Him in, in all that He did. That's the fear of God. The fear of God. It's in, in Christian culture today, the fear of God is so misunderstood. Remember years ago when we did a book table at the mall, when we had a mall, and and we had, you know, Jerry Bridges' book out there, The Joy of Fearing God. And Aaron DeLine was doing the book table at that point, and he had somebody come up and want to enter into an argument with him because what it joy and we don't fear God. I don't know what Bible this guy reads, but we, we don't fear God. There can be no joy in fearing God. They, they have a, it's not a fear of someone who's going to clobber me over the head or, or someone who's bigger than I am is going to beat me up. It is a fear that wants to please him as he sees everything we do and say and think what it means to fear God. And, and so we, we have this encouragement. And then in verses 11 through 14, which we'll look at in more detail here in a minute, but we have greater detail about that fear of God. And, and that's what I, I want to get to because we have this invitation here. Come and taste and see that the Lord is, is good. This idea of taste doesn't mean it's it's not like I, I brought you know we're now members at Costco. You ever walk around Costco and have all those people here? Try this, and they give you this little thing, you know, and you to taste it, and and, and oh, you know sometimes you taste it and it's like who's going to buy that? And other times you taste it and say we ought to get that. That's good. That's not what David's saying here. Taste here, have a little taste, but it's the idea to be committed, come alongside. Our God. Know Him. Live for Him. Taste and see that the, that the Lord is good. Consider the goodness of God. You know, I think so oftentimes there, there are two topics, I think, oftentimes in our churches that we seem to skip over. One we're dealing with, with in the morning worship, and that's love what genuine love is. The other one is, is God's goodness. 
that God is a good God? And do we believe that as we live in this world? That God is good in all that he does. No good thing will he withhold from me. Psalm 27 and verse 13 says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Thomas says, I was convinced of God's goodness here in this life. And so in verse 9, we have the imperative. Fear the Lord, you His saints. Fear the Lord, you His saints. And those who fear Him, there is no one. That's again one of those verses where someone can come along and say, Oh, here it is. There's no one. I'll have everything I ever wanted. But here it's referring to what we are as saints. Fear the Lord, O oh, you His saints. And what is it that, that we want more than anything else? It's, it's to have a hatred towards sin. It's to be obedient to His commandments. It's, it's to trust in Him and live in light of an eternity that is yet before us. And we have all that as we fear God. Because then he goes on and says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. Here's the king of the beast. You look at them and you think to yourself, they they can have anything they want in, in the forest. And yet, they still at times lack. They're still at times hungry. But then he goes on to say, But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. What's a good thing? That's what I'd be asking when you read this. He shall not have want of any good thing. What's a good thing? Can you think of anything better than being reconciled to God? Can you think of anything better than to know your sins are forgiven? Can you think of anything better than to know that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Now, we live as though there's things better than that oftentimes, don't we? A brand new car may be a little better. At least we act that way. Having a bank account that has got plenty in it, But but those things pass away. There may be an enjoyment for a little while, but they don't last. You know, I don't know how many of you ever bought a brand new car. I've only bought one brand new car in my life. A long time ago. Man, I thought, man, I've reached it. Driving around in this Lumina. I forget what year it was. But a couple years later, that jewel began to cost me money. And then I found out that that jewel can't hit the back of a garbage truck going 50 miles an hour and survive. It was gone. What do we consider good things? And, and the psalmist says, I've learned. I mean, this, this, is, this is King David. He says, I've learned that as I seek the Lord, I have want 
of no good, I, I, every good thing I, is taken care of. And that's a delight. That's good. And then, he, then in starting in verse 11, then he opens up what I have called the details of fearing God. And he does so by, by coming to us in three ways. I've sort of put it this way. He comes to us as a parent to a child, as a motivator to encourage, and then as a counselor to give instruction. These are the three ways he comes to us. He's exhorted us. Fear God, O you his saints. Now, now, let me talk to you. I want to talk to you as a parent. I want to talk to you as a, as a motivator. And I want to talk to you as a counselor. These three ways. So before we get into that, any any comments? Anybody chopping up a bit? Want to add something or anything to what we've said up to this point? Yeah. Every day, yeah. Everything for life, yeah. Good. Anyone else? All right. Well, then let's let's move on and consider these things together. First of all, David as a parent, verse eleven. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. He comes to them and addresses them as children. And remember, he's probably here speaking especially to those men who are with him in the cave. So in some sense, they're his companions, but but they need instruction. They need guidance. They they need to be taught. And so within this term of endearment and affection, he also speaks with authority. 
He, he's concerned about his readers. He, he's concerned about those who he is now speaking to. And, and, and he comes to them and, and wants to instruct them because they need instruction. But, but he refers to them as children, which, again, addresses his authority as he speaks to them. He's asking them to bend their ear in his direction so they may hear clearly what he wants to teach them. This, this word is, is not to be taken lightly, but to be obeyed. He's saying, don't let your minds wander. Listen. And what's he want them to listen to? And I will teach you to fear the Lord. Within every believer is the fear of God. In Jeremiah 32, he talks about, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. So there is a degree. Every believer has been given the fear of God in their hearts. However, it needs to grow. It needs to increase. It's just like the way that, that Paul spoke to the church at Thessalonica about love. On the one hand, he says, I know you love each other. On the other hand, he says, but I'm praying your love will ever increase. And so David is saying to us, I know, I know you fear God because we have the promise in the everlasting covenant that he'll put the fear of God in your heart. But, but I want to see it growing. And I, I believe by that he has the idea, I want, you to, I want you to live more aware of that every day. I think it's, it's like Vince has just said, so that every day and every part of my life I, I live in that reality that, that God sees me. And I want to please him above everything else. I need to cultivate in my life a fear of God. I need this. And David says here, I want to be the instrument that will aid you to increase in your fear of God. I want you to have a God consciousness Every day. I want you to have a desire to please Him. Do you know, if, if we lived, if we would grow in this area, how different our homes would be? How, how different our church would be? How different our society would be? With, with a, if we lived with a God consciousness and, and a desire to please Him. Someone has made mention of the fact that David was a famous musician. He's a famous statesman. He's a famous soldier. But he doesn't say to his children, I will teach you to play the harp. I'll teach you how to handle a sword or a spear or a bow. Or I will teach you certain things about state policies. 
No. What's his desire? I want, I want to teach you about the fear of God, which is better than any other thing that I could teach you. What are we, what are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our grandchildren? For at least one couple, what are you teaching your great-grandchildren? I've told you this before. It's a reality. Speak to my children. I, when I was growing up, my parents led me to believe they knew everything. And that I couldn't get away with anything because they knew everything. I taught my children, maybe it's not good parenting technique, I taught my, I don't know everything. I have no idea what you do in the classroom. I have no idea when my kids got older what you did last night with your friends. I, as far as I was there, you could see it. But I, I do know this. You went nowhere. And you did nothing that Almighty God didn't see and didn't know about. There was the one time when I picked my son up from kindergarten and he got in the car and I looked at him and I don't know why I did this, but I just looked at him and said, so you want to tell me what happened today at school? And he looks at me. I, I didn't know that anything happened today at school. I did not know. And he said, well, um, did, did Mrs. Thompson call you? That's not my question, son. What happened today at school? Well, Dad, and then he tells me he got in trouble doing something. And I, we now laugh about it because I had no idea. He was, I was just teasing him when he got in the car, and it just happened to be the right day at the right time. But that wasn't normal in our household for me to know something that went on when I wasn't there. But Almighty God was there, and he knew. And, and, and we ought to desire to teach our children and our grandchildren that reality and to grow in that reality. So he comes to them as a parent. Second thing is he comes to them as a motivator, verse 12, as a motivator. Who's the man who desires life? And loves lengths of days that he may see good. Who wants, who wants to be happy? I mean, basically what David's saying here is, here, here's the recipe for living a life that brings pleasure and happiness it gives purpose to my life. So David asked this question. The man who fears God, his life is marked by God's blessing. 
There, there are benefits and profits in living in the fear of God. It, it's the same thing that's expressed in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 2. That you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that the, and that your days may be prolonged. He says, you want to live a life, a desired life? You want to love life? You want to have a good quality of life? Then fear God. Fear God. I mean, Peter quotes this very statement in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he talks about a life that we ought to desire to live. This is for the man who loves length of days. Here he is speaking of a man who wants, wants to live all his days in pleasantness. He doesn't want to live his days begrudgingly. He wants the pleasure of life. I think some people enjoy misery. I, I really do. They just enjoy being miserable. And I say that not because I really think they want to be in misery. And living for him. If you're going to live for self, your life will be miserable by and by. It really will. Here's the one who wants to see good. He wants to see good. He, he wants to have some meaning to his life, you know? What's the purpose of this life? We only have one, right? We only have one life. And, and it passes so quickly, really. I mean, this last Monday, Trisha and I went and heard, I don't know if you ever heard of it, Tim Zimmerman and the King's Brass. The brass group. It's beautiful. It was just a, a lovely time. And, and I, I went to school with Tim Zimmerman. We went to school together. And so afterwards, this is college days, you know, afterwards in the lobby, I bump into Tim, and, and we start talking, and, and we begin reminiscing about those days and what they were like. And the next thing you know, we're talking about grandkids. That's how quickly time has passed. And then my wife says... I said, you know, we're the same age. We're there. You know, that's a reality. Our life's but a vapor. So what's the purpose of this life? How is a life lived with any meaning? David says, if you live in the fear of God, you'll have that. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. So that we can enjoy life. 
so, so that our length of days are, are good and pleasant days and, and that we can see good. And then he comes finally as a counselor and he wants to give them some instruction. Verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, now he gets down to the nitty gritty. And it's like David says, let's get real practical here. What, what are some areas of our lives that will be affected if we fear God? And he deals with two areas. Our tongue and our behavior, our actions. These two things. We'll be careful with our tongues. I, I, I will keep my lips from speaking deceit. I'll be careful what I say. And I will use my speech to edify, to build up, to help. And think about it. God hears what you have to say. In, 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 the, in places where no one but your family, or even in places where no one will hear but you. God hears. He hears what you have to say. He, he, he hears how you speak about other people. When they're not around to hear what you have to say. Why is it that we can speak about other people in a derogatory way or in, in a way that is somewhat grievous or is it could be classified as gossip and we do it so freely why, why is it that so easily done because we don't live with a God consciousness right why, why is it that we're driving down the road and, and a guy cuts us off almost slams you know we almost slam into him Nobody else is in the car with us, so we have a few choice words for him. And we may express them outwardly. And they just come out so free. Why is that? Because we don't live with a God consciousness. Why is it that at times I can speak harshly to the woman who I love more than any other on earth because we don't live with a God consciousness. And David deals with this. Keep your tongue from deceit, from lies. God hates lies. And we lie in so many different ways. We, we lie with exaggeration. We just plainly don't tell the truth. We lie to make ourselves look better. We must be careful. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And again, 
you knew my family back in the day. I don't know if people do it anymore or not, but I remember when we went on trips, we would sing. The whole family would sing. Now, I'm trying to imagine me getting my three kids in the car today and say, let's sing. They would look at me like, Dad, you've lost it. But we used to have that, that Steve Green tape for children. And one of his songs was, keep your tongues from evil, keep your tongue. And then in the midst of that, he would say, now then, grab your tongue and sing it. And so we teach our tongues, and we're driving. And here are five people in the car, all holding their tongues, saying, keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. And I'm just trying to imagine what people thought as they passed us on the highway. Look at that family. But my kids remember that song today. Trying to keep their tongues from evil. And then secondly, he deals with the area of my actions, my behavior. I will depart from evil and do good. It matters how I live. You know, one of the reasons I came to this passage is because this morning in the worship service we're looking at love does not behave itself unbecomingly. It It matters how we live. Our conduct matters. I've got to be careful here because I want to go off and preach what I'm going to do next hour. But theology is important. It really is. But your conduct, how you live, really matters. And, and, and David here says, if we're going to fear God, then, then we're going to conduct ourselves in a, in a righteous way. In a righteous way. Look over to Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, Leviticus 25. several passages that we could look at. Um, look, look at verses 14 to 17. Here's just um, an ordinary real estate transaction. If you make a sale, moreover, to your friends or buy from your friends' hands, you shall not wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend and he is to sell to you according to the number of years of the crop. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price. And in proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price. For it is a number of crops he is selling to you. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. When you you just do business transactions, do what is right. Well, you know, I think I can... I think I can get away with scalping a little bit more money. No, do fear God. Do what is right in His sight. You continue to do that. You can you can read through this, and, and He gives several examples of such things with regard to living in this life. Let me look at one other passage here. I think. Yeah, look at chapter 19. 
this is an interesting one, chapter 19 and verse 14. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, for you shall reverence the Lord your God, I am the Lord. What an interesting thought. Here's a guy that can't hear a thing. So you're standing before him and you're cursing him out and he can't hear a thing. Don't do that. Well, why? He can't hear me. God knows. Here's a blind man. And you put something in front of him and watch him trip over it. He's not going to know who did it. He's blind. God knows. Fear God. Fear God. And so our actions and our behavior is important. And God sets that before us. Well, I trust these are things, and my time's about done, so I'm going to bring it to a close, but I trust these are things that God will help us to take to heart and that we will be a people that live in the fear of God, that we might enjoy life and be used by God for his glory and his honor. I think I've got about a minute here, so any closing thoughts or questions you might have with regard to what we considered? I still have another page or two of notes, but I'll stop it here. Yeah, Cliff? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving this, this time in your word and pray that as the people of God, it will have an effect upon how we live in this world. Now we ask that you would meet with us as we gather to hear the word of God and to worship you. May our public worship demonstrate that we are a people who fear God and that we long to please him even in how we worship. Meet with us to that end. We ask these things in Christ's name.